You're listening to Extra Textual, the show where we tell stories about movies while the movies tell our stories. Each episode will bring you a special guest who shares a personal story connected to a meaningful film in their life. Then we share some kind of connected story from our own film experiences. And as always, we learn something new about ourselves and others. Welcome to the show. My name is Eli Steenledge and with me is... Jeremy Holiday. And we are doing our new format on this episode. So we are going to have a guest a who's guest. going to tell a story. Mm-hmm. And um, it's going to be really fun and exciting, yeah. I think. Also, uh, welcome to season two. Eli means to say welcome to season welcome two. Welcome to season two. Yeah, yeah. Our guest today is a friend of mine, Brian Bosquet. And he is an actor, among many other things. And we are going to talk a little bit about some projects that we've worked on together, some film projects. Welcome to the show, Brian. How are you doing? Hey, pretty good. Thanks, uh, Eli, Jeremy. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Sure, sure. That was a big family picnic right on the lake. And everyone decided to go swimming after everyone had this big old meal. I was six, and I didn't know how to swim. But my mom took me out there, and she was like, Malcolm, just hold on, we're not going out too far. (laughs) And you know, I was just thrilled. It was ridiculous. I'd never been immersed in any type of water bigger than a bathtub in my life. And it was crazy, and I I was kicking and splashing and maybe having too much fun because before I knew it, I didn't know where my mom was and I couldn't tell which way it was up and I, I just saw blue. Yeah. And I don't know, I don't know how long I was underwater, but maybe it was only like a few seconds, but it was like an eternity, you know? And then someone pulled me up, a cousin or something. And I probably wasn't even out too far, but I couldn't swim. I just was terrified for my life. Thought that was the end. And they brought me up on shore. My mom was sobbing. I bet. You were six? I was six. So scary. Never set foot in that lake again. <laughs> I was like, get me back home. <laughs> Can you swim now? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> You blame me? No. <laughs> you take baths, don't you? <laughs> I take showers. Okay. Take showers. Fully upright. <laughs> we heard a clip from my film Photostoria, which Brian told a story in that film. So you got a little preview of that little. Uh, appetizer of uh, some of his work that he's going to tell a story a little bit later but I think I made that like in like 2013 I want to say 2014 something like that that we worked does that sound right sounds about right yeah yeah Mm -hmm. so we had done one other very small short film which maybe you don't even remember that was sort of Blade Runner inspired (laughs) yes um, which actually is still pretty good it's not bad it holds up over time yeah yeah yeah, you created a really nice character in that. Thank I, you. Yeah. And then uh, for my grad school project, 
I made this film that was pretty weird. And, you know, I've done a lot of reflecting on since then about lessons learned from that. And one of those is that I was not very good at working with actors. So <laughs> we can talk a little bit about this, Brad, or not. You don't have to talk about it. But <laughs> I gave you some pretty hard jobs on this film, like some pretty tough tasks. So you, we were talking, you may not remember this, but I think there was three instances where I was sort of like, on the day, I need you to improvise a story. I don't really have an idea of what that story is going to be. Can you just come up with something and then make it like emotional and interesting? Slash, and could you write this uh, script for me? Could you write the script? About <laughs> half of that I never film, got that credit. No, you never got, you never got the writing credit. I made a lot of money off of that movie, so I'm sorry. A lot of money. <laughs> no, not really. So, yeah, I mean... Half of the film was probably improvised, like the dialogue, not just like people telling stories. And I had some, you know, theoretical reason for doing that in grad school at the time. But really, it just made it hard on the actors, I think, a little bit. Um, I was going off for like some authenticity in that situation. But you did a really nice job. And I (laughs) don't think I told you a lot about the character because I don't think I knew who that character was very well as we were making it. Yeah. Um, I think that was sort of clear. Um, and, it was uh, clear that you didn't know who the character was. <laughs> well, That's no, what... that like you went into it, um, like wanting to find out more and, and, uh, like hungry for collaboration mm. for like all of us that were on set to like, um, fill in the gaps in the spaces for for like the shape of this thing. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. And even like discover about this character as they unfold through the shooting process. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, it was... I don't remember it being like crazy unpredictable, mm-hmm. <laughs> but like, uh, like in all honesty, I was just starting out as an actor. I'd never done, or I have done very few like on camera and film things. I'd, yeah that point did a lot of like theater um at school and some professional credits um yeah. but film was all new so like being on like on set and on location for this independent film was all like really just incredible to me <laughs> so i was like oh oh you you do this uh yeah sure i could i could do that as especially like being on set for my friend's film yeah uh, i was like i'm game for anything yeah let's let's do it <laughs> and yeah. you guys like trusted me so I'm glad it didn't like take 700 takes or something. No, I, I, and we worked super, super fast, which I also apologize for. Like that is probably not a normal experience if you've probably worked on maybe some other films, but, um, no, you don't, you don't have to apologize. Uh, no, it was a, it was a fun time. It like, it literally took me places I'd never been. Mm. Uh, we went all over the place for, for that film. Places like Iowa. Exotic states like Iowa, yeah. It was great. Uh, (laughs) Well, and and like for the viewing audience or listening audience that has not yet seen Eli's masterpiece, Photo Storia, um, uh, it 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 is a interesting independent film which involves personal relationships and some obscure time travel, Mm -hmm. I think, Mm -hmm. um, and a few other things with sort of a looping storyline. Yeah. Um, But focus on a few main characters as they go like they go through various. of elements and stories in their life. It it was also funny because I I knew you best probably of like the actors that we worked with and every, everybody was great. But as it developed, I also realized like I asked you to do it first, I think. 
and um, I was thinking you would be sort of like the main character. And as we got into things, I was like, oh, he's kind of like a peripheral character. Because <laughs> um, you were just supposed to like sort of lost in time, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. swirling around these other characters. And then I also felt a little bad about that. But yeah. that's that's an important <laughs> role to play, I think. I hated think- my, my screen time percentage in that film. <laughs> and you no, I don't know. Yeah. One of my one of the stories that my like high school um, theater teacher always said mm-hmm. is like one of the reasons why he loved uh, Romeo and Juliet, which I love myself, um, is because like Mercutio is like such is like the best character, right? Mm, yeah. He's so much more interesting than Romeo, right? right? So he has to die because it's, it's not his story, right? Mm, if uh, we're gonna yep. move through this thing, um, I think sometimes when you're making projects, some mm-hmm. people end up being more important than you expect. Some yeah. people end up being less important than you expect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of the nature of things. I'm still sort of playing with this concept of like seeing people tell stories like within a film story, you know, like a visual thing where normally you're like, well, I want to see them living out the story. But I think sometimes it's interesting to have people like tell you a story because you still sort of imagine it, you know, in your mind what they're telling. Oh, yeah. And it's, it's kind of almost more personal. Um, like that concept in itself is also very, you know, delicate and and super interesting to watch. So I, I can understand where you're coming from. Mm. Well, we, I mean, this is like a theater parallel, not a uh, film parallel. Yeah. But uh, this last weekend, uh, I went to see uh, Fences with my wife mm-hmm. and I. Oh, cool. Alex Wilson's play um, at the American Players Theater, which is like this outdoor theater here in Wisconsin, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and they and they usually do like you know Shakespeare and classical theater. Yeah. Um, but Fences is one of my favorite plays of all time. Mm. I grew up in Pittsburgh. I, you know, like August Wilson was part of our like local iconography. And there's like yeah. two points in that, in the play when like Troy tells these stories, you know, one mm. of which is like narrating his first fantastical, like wrestling battle with death, you mm-hmm. know? And another is when he tells a story about his childhood, when he sort of first, when he like, overcomes his father, they're both mm-hmm. sort of parallel stories, but it's, it's interesting to, and it was just interesting to see, um, you know, the place, like, we're watching a story of people interacting in a space, and inside of that space, we're watching someone tell a story. Right. Um, and watching people react to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just interesting, because I, in, in, I remember, like, in taking film classes, like, there's so, there was so much emphasis on, like, getting rid of exposition. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's a, uh, I don't know, there's just a difference between someone telling, narrating a beautiful backstory um, and providing, like, necessary back information to get you from point A to point B. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like, like dialogue must be active and like purposeful. Yeah. Like with, with stories, uh, you get so much, um, you can glean so much about the character from how they, you know, transport themselves back in time and how they feel about what they're saying. It's, It's wonderful. I think in general, actors have to be the ones that sort of carry storytelling in a lot of way by the character that you create you know takes the audience on that journey of telling a story um which i think is is pretty cool and sometimes i forget about like i I get focused on like the writing of something because i'm not an actor but i think it does fall often on the actors to to pull that story out yeah yeah you know i i still i don't uh i'm not auditioning for chicago theater like proper but I still get my like live performance kicks with this educational theater company that I work with Barrel of Monkeys mm-hmm. um, and I've been a company member and 
uh, teaching artist and performing with them for seven years. And like the gist of what we do is we teach creative writing residencies and uh, third, fourth, and fifth grade classrooms in Chicago public schools. Hmm. And then we take the, the stories and then we, we leave the classroom and we adapt them into sketch uh, style, like live stories that we perform for the school. And then um, also for a public audience uh, a bunch of times during the year. So that is actually interesting in that like, we have this like, uh, like sometimes just a small nugget of like an idea, an idea. of yeah. a story. Hmm. And um, we as performers and adapters sort of um, infuse it with uh, ideas of our own mm-hmm. while still like staying true to the the spirit of the, the writing mm-hmm. um, filling in some gaps sometimes for an audience and so uh, it's an interesting interesting process yeah so that's basically what you did on my film right same process <laughs> basically I took an outline and I <laughs> you were exactly um, one other thing I thought of uh You've worked a little bit on some Stephen Cohn films, is that right? Or have yeah, some connection? Yeah. What's the experience like working with him? Because I heard he has a pretty interesting process. Um, maybe does a lot of like rehearsals and um, collaborative efforts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, um, I am friends with Stephen from for about ten-ish years now. Okay, um, and. So I got to be on set because, like, I already knew Steven and he would, like, need some some folks to, to populate a scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, Yeah, totally. Uh, so I haven't, like, auditioned properly for um, any of his movies. Um, but I, yeah, so I have had some, like, <laughs> credited featured extra roles um, in the films. And it's always just a really lovely time on set hmm. uh, uh steven is uh just a wonderfully warm um human being he's uh hmm. humble and um open and really gentle um and i think he's has a lot of consideration for his actors and um for all of all of the the, the production crew um so it's it's always like a, a really positive energy. Yeah, I think. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I, I've heard some interviews with him. Haven't met him in person, but um, he sounded like a really nice and down to earth guy. And I think one thing he said stuck with me before, um, just like as a filmmaker, like he talked about, like there's usually this image where you have to like come right out of the blocks and have like an amazing first film or something, you know, like you have to sort of sell yourself on this. And he, he was talking about much more like realistically for most filmmakers, it's like a long development, you know, it's a journey of, you getting life experience and developing your skills and probably most people's like great film will be farther down the line, you know, at least like, you know, maybe their third or fourth film or something. And um, so he was just very honest about like, I'm just working through, you know, the stories that I want to tell and I'm getting better and um, working with other people, gaining experience. So it, it was cool to hear that sort of honesty instead of the, sort of bravara you hear from a lot of directors, you know, just like, I knew how to do this, you know, from the start or whatever, you know. Yeah, yeah. That's not surprising. Um, 
what's great uh, for being like part of the Chicago theater scene is that like when Stephen got all this like notoriety and attention for um, the Wise Kids and Princess Sid, mm. it was it was awesome to see like his ensemble and like the Chicago crew that he employed like get attention and just like like share like some like yeah attention from mm-hmm. like on a national level yeah on a big level uh, which yeah. is fantastic and like just seeing um like him repeatedly use a bunch of really awesome Chicago talents was is great to see and it really I think yeah I think uh, the community yeah my wife Jess and I who you know were watching the wise kids and uh like on Netflix or something yeah. And like all of a sudden there was like a club scene and we're like, is that Brian kissing that guy? Is that, I think that was Brian. Cause it was like a pretty quick shot. And I, I don't know if you remember, but I think we texted you right away. And we're like, are you in this film? I, I don't remember you texting me, but I love that you were watching it. You <laughs> it's like a dark uh, scene. So they, yeah. uh, the, the main production was in uh, South Carolina, uh-huh. I believe where uh, Steven's from. Hmm. So they like, like a, all these like Chicago folks took a trip and like spent two weeks maybe I think uh, mm. out there and they came up to Chicago and a little bit later had to film a scene like uh, the gay bar scene yeah and so they um, they got Charlie's um, bar Charlie's Chicago um, okay which is like I think it's a, I think it's a chain mm. nationally yeah. and it's originally like a, a cowboy gay bar oh okay. um, so at that point this was like maybe eight years ago now. Yeah. Um, like, they still had, um, like, disco balls in the shape of cowboy boots. <laughs> that <laughs> Sounds would, awesome. Like, spin. There'd be, like, a whole, like, array of them that would spin in the middle of the floor. Um, <laughs> uh, so that was <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Um, I think since... I, I haven't been to that bar in a long time. I don't know if they still have the cowboy thing. The cowboy. Yeah. That's... But, like, I we were on set and I didn't expect to be like pulled to be the guy who kisses, you know, the, like the, the, main, one character. Of the main characters. Yeah. Yeah. But I happily have a credit. Uh, and my character is called club boy. Club, club boy. boy. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> nice. That's a good credit. <laughs> yeah. I guess Brian Bosky. I, I was club boy. Club boy. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's right. You are recognizing club boy. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. That's how we're going to credit you in the podcast. Club it's actually Boy, in the Dennis. title. Yeah, yeah. I actually had to bring a bunch with... of clothes for that scene. Did you? Yeah. Yeah. So like, <laughs> to dress the rest of the people. And I lost a shirt that I really liked. Oh, no. Yeah. I mean, that's what you get from being Club Boy. I'm glad you uh, committed to that role. I, I feel like there's a particular kind of black hole for items at various shoots. Mm. Like, I just know that, like, I mean when we've been shooting shoots that are long yeah. at the end of the day, I'm like, if I don't like keep everything I own in a backpack, like mm-hmm. I, I'll never see half of it. Disappears. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that makes sense. Yeah. It's in some alternate universe somewhere. All your, your shirt and everything. Oh, so let Charlie. Yeah. So we wanted to talk about pet cemetery two, or I should say you did and tell us about an experience with that. And we can talk a little bit more about the film, but I actually have not seen any of the Pet Cemetery films, and there was a recent remake 
um, yeah. which I don't know. I don't think any of us probably saw, I'm guessing. I, I did I, not yeah, see it, I, but I did I see the trailer. I did see the trailer, too. Yeah, same. The, the cinematography looked nice. I don't know about that. I don't think it did very well. Um, I don't think that's the point. But, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I think, um, Jeremy, you've seen the original. I saw the original correct? Pet Sematary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I may have, like, been in a room where Pet Cemetery 2 played on VHS. Okay. Um, but I, <laughs> I could not tell you much about that it. That space, yeah, yeah. Um, I was doing a little bit of research and saw some clips. I did not know Edward Furlong was in it of yeah. Terminator 2 fame. So, yeah, why don't you tell us a little bit about your experience with that, and then we'll we'll discuss the film a little bit. Yeah. Sure, yeah. My connection to Pet Cemetery 2, spelled out T-W-O, um, <laughs> is a little unorthodox in that, like, I have never been a like a scary movie watcher um i'm i'm what uh they call a a, a scaredy cat <laughs> i think <laughs> nice connection the, to that's a scientific term yeah um and uh but I, it just happened to like come into my life unexpectedly um in around like age uh, 10 or 11 it had to be uh, the, the movie came out in 1992, um, and so it must have been uh, a year or two after that because it was on, like, uh, television. It was on, like, maybe HBO. But um, it was this weird weekend that sort of lives in a, a shroud of, like, confusion and mystery to me that, like, I was confused as it was happening. My my parents and uh, my older sister and I were driving to this like hotel resort uh, country club for some like a, a weekend getaway, which we never did. Uh, like as a family, we went on summer vacations, like to Wisconsin Dells or to the Grand Canyon, but we never took like impromptu trips to like short distances just to like you know experience whatever in in, uh, in like chicagoland or or the, the, the tri-state area but like there we were in my family's forest green dodge caravan this minivan like going off to this this hotel and in thinking about this memory since then i always have to like recheck my memory because it was called like the Chevy Chase Resort and I don't like I was confused at the time because even at that age I knew like who Chevy Chase was the you know that classic beloved American like comedic actor and it was sort of fitting because like I sort of knew him from the like WGN Channel 9 like Sunday movies, which would play like well, his movies, the um, like National Lampoon vacation movies, and like it sort of mirrored us, the, this family of four, like going to some place. It w- it was confusing for me because like that was something we never did. This was completely out of the ordinary. We were given like no explanation as to like why my parents just decided like oh let's go out to this resort. It was in 
the area, it, it couldn't have been like more than an hour, an hour and a half drive. So like, like everything looked familiar, but like completely foreign at the same time. And the first thing we did, it was like the afternoon and there were some sort of family or kids crafts that were offered in one of like the, the banquet rooms of the hotel. And so like my parents brought, uh, my sister Carla and I to like to like that area and we were doing these crafts and it was like it was all very forced. I was still confused and the crafts were like really pitiful. They were like mm. like gluing popsicle sticks together to make something and like coloring them. Uh <laughs> I'm sure paper plates were also involved. We cut them up. I don't remember like what we made, but it was like at the time I was I was judging it. <laughs> I felt really isolated too because there weren't even like lots of kids there. These kids seemed like strange to me, or at least, you know, de facto strangers, just like these people I didn't know. And it was all just maintain this sense of like, why are we here? I don't want to be here. And then I think it was just one night that we stayed. It like got into the evening and uh, we're in the hotel room and I guess my parents had they saw that there was like dancing, maybe there was a class or a, there was some dancing involved in one of the ballrooms um, there. And it was, I remember them getting ready and getting dressed up. And uh, Carl and I were just like in the hotel room, like watching and like, cause we weren't invited. <laughs> it was, uh, it was the first time I think where it was like, oh, my parents want to do something by themselves, even though we're all here. <laughs> uh, so I was sort of like put off by that. And so they went dancing and they were doing their own thing. And Carla and I were just left there. My sister and I didn't like get along all that well. So that was weird. Um, but there we were in this like weird hotel room. And it wasn't like, it wasn't like a nice hotel room. I don't know. It was just all foreign and not comfortable and not like inviting to me mm -hmm. and when I look back I, I can like dark shadowy room <laughs> where like maybe one lamp is on casting shadows behind like these two double beds and it like smells weird and my parents are gone they're somewhere off dancing it's, it's I like can almost like hear the the background noise of like the shining of like <laughs> some ballroom hmm. going on there's a party in the background um where it's probably all just ghosts but like that's the sense that i get when i look back on it um eventually uh my sister had like switched the channel to the tv which was probably already on to uh like hbo or whatever movie channel was on in the hotel and it was in the middle of pet cemetery 2 and I clearly had not seen the first, so I think I, I was I was very wary of this movie because obviously it was a scary film. Um, it's all very tense, uh, but my sister was in, insistent that like we watch it because she was fourteen or fifteen and like had the the like requisite crush on Eddie Furlong, you know, um, he was in her her Teen Beat magazines or whatever if those still like happened at, in 1992 or three. <laughs> and so we were watching this thing and my parents were gone and 
I'm sure, like, I was just watching because, like, I couldn't do anything else. I couldn't leave, and my sister was not turning it off, and I'm sure I had, like, the pillow or, like, pillows just, like, around me, just, like, scrunched in front of me, and I, like, would just peek over the pillow to watch, like, some of the scenes. Um, and it was already after the start, so, like, it was already, like, knee-deep into, like, the scares and the horror and the, the eeriness, and so I was freaked out. There were some <laughs> images that just, like, stay with me and like have haunted me because they're just so scary and for someone for a kid who hasn't like like seen a lot of horror movies like those were like those were like life-changing <laughs> they were the first like death scenes that I had seen I remember just feeling for the like the friend character his mom like I'm going to ruin Pet Cemetery 2 for some folks. Totally fine. Uh, yeah. Fine. yeah. <laughs> but like, we dispense with no spoilers here. It's all spoilers. Okay. <laughs> well, they like, well, they, the friend's like stepdad, um, for some reason, like dies and uh, they put him into the Pet Cemetery and he comes alive and he's like this, he already looks like Lurch from the, like the Adams family. So he was very well cast. But as a zombie, <laughs> he's like terrorizing them and he like, like they they realize he's like a zombie and wants to kill them and they get into the car and he's chasing them in a truck and they're going down this like rural highway and then um like cars are speeding past them in the other direction and like they're like the guy's like knocking the back of their truck with his truck and like it's all very tense and then um eventually like speeds up so that he's like right alongside them like to the right of them and then, like, you see this oncoming truck, like, coming close. And then he, like, rams it, their truck, this mother and son, into, like, oncoming traffic. And then they just, like, get hit with, by this other truck. And, like, the image I have of that is them showing, like, the contents of this truck, which is just, like, oranges. It's just, like, fr- like fruit just, like, spilling into their car and, like, flooding their car and burying them are already dead um and i was like how does that happen <laughs> uh, especially with like i don't know for some reason like i i really love that mom character she was like she in my head she's like that like the sweet-faced like level-headed brunette character that's in a lot of movies <laughs> where like i don't know she's sort of like barbara hershey in in uh, uh, the wind beneath my wings movie. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> like how could she die? She was, she wasn't meant for this. She did nothing wrong. But there were just some other like scares and gore that like shocked me. Um, like the one that was more pressing than that was just Eddie Furlong's his dad's new girlfriend, who's like this like super beautiful like um, blonde woman, and she's she's nice, but like. She gets caught up in their house, and his mom's all already like, like put in the cemetery, and she's terrorizing folks from afar. And like she, the the girlfriend character like goes upstairs because that's what you do. You go to the attic, um, and like mm-hmm. sees the mom's dress, and like it's really glamorous, sort of like 20s style white bedazzled thing. And she like does herself up in the makeup, and then she, um 
like there's a, a scare where like something attacks her and then the next time you see her she's like behind a corner and like anthony edwards is like hey, what's going on how are you or something he like pulls her body and she like rolls out from, from behind the corner and like half of her face is torn off <laughs> Oh, it was chilling. <laughs> but, like, so that's my first horror movie that I actually, like, had to to sit through. And, like, my parents eventually come back from this thing, and they're, like, they had a good time. I'm sure they've had a few drinks or whatever. And it's, like, time to go to bed. But, like, that was the longest night of my life. It was just the longest night. I could not sleep. Um, we were in the dark. And all I could think of was that I was going to die. There, there are strangers everywhere. I don't know anyone in this hotel. I can hear people out in the hall carousing. I don't know what's out this window. It's completely in the dark. I'm afraid of the dark. And to top it all off, my dad is just snoring. It's the worst. It's so like even if I try to close my eyes tight and like think of anything else, I can't. I cannot sleep. There is no rest. I I sat there for what seemed like hours. And I think in that moment, like, I, I like, resented my dad, I think, for the first time. Like, how could you, how could you do this to me? I took it as a personal front that, like, you could ruin my sleep. I'd never heard my dad snore before. Like, at home, you know, I couldn't hear from, like, just the next room over. Um, but I was like, this is this is what it's like. My dad is a, a human who snores. <laughs> and it's ruining my life. But yeah, I, that was the longest night I've ever experienced. I think, like, I don't remember getting up or like, I, I must have gotten some sleep or something. But like, that was it. There was just one night at this hotel um, for reasons like I don't even know. And like, I came away from it just like sort of like seeing my parents and my dad in a different light, which is weird. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, just not being able to think of anything else. Would your parents have approved of you watching that? Like, did they know what you watched? I think they did. Yeah. I <laughs> Well... You know, I, they weren't too concerned about it. They were not yeah. concerned. Yeah. I can't remember if it was on before they left, but mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> it wasn't their problem. Well, that was a great story, Brian. Thanks for sharing yeah. it. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Thanks for. <laughs> I, I imagine <laughs> like the next day, like they were. It's like vacation, and they're wanting to like have fun with you guys, and you're just like totally sleepy and cranky, and they're like, "What is wrong with him?" <laughs> I just wanted to leave. I yeah. I don't even remember like expressing how scared I was mm-hmm. because maybe I was embarrassed or maybe just like too traumatized or like angry right. about it right. <laughs> to express it. I so it was like something that like oh, I'll always remember and yeah, God. Well, I I'm gonna tell a short follow up. Yeah, if I'm jumping on Eli. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, no, and yeah. I, I don't know if I've told the story on the podcast before, but. Mm. I mean, I think there's a whole generation of us that have, like, we saw a Stephen King movie before we were ready stories. Right. Yeah. Because, so, I mean, I was probably about the same age, um, and it was, uh, it was on television. Um, And the way our house was, there was, like, a TV in the living room, and there was a couch, like, right in front of my, sort of, my door, just the way it was set up. Mm -hmm. And um, I had to go to bed, 
but like I, I, I like literally like snuck out my door and the, the couch had like large slats in the back because yeah. it was a wooden frame so you could see through the couch cushions. Mm. So I watched what Three I would days. eventually learn is like the second part of it um, on television through this little hole. And part of it, like part of the, like the context was that like I was supposed to be in bed. Mm-hmm. I was like utterly silent because my dad was on the other side of the, like, the house <laughs> watching. Like he wasn't on that couch. And I was like at any moment... Like I like I was filled with personal terror that I would get in trouble. Get for caught, it. yeah. And then on top of that, I was watching this thing, and you know the the second part, like in some sense, isn't as like jump scary as the first part, but just like you had said, Brian, there were images like when they're at a restaurant and there's like an eyeball in the mm-hmm. in like the fortune cookie, and then when one of them has like the claws of a crab in it. Mm-hmm. I mean, like those those images, like I mean. You said you had a sleepless night. I am not joking that for like almost a month, uh. like I, if I close my eyes, I saw like one of three things. I saw the weird, I saw like him as the weirdo clown. Yeah. I saw like those fortune cookies with the eyes in it, or I saw the sink with the blood in it. Mm. And like, like of all, I mean, even as I tell you this story, I, I literally have goosebumps on my body <laughs> that, when I saw, because I think they flash back to look at, to think about the, the sink. Mm-hmm. When they, like, the sink is filled with blood, they clean it and they turn away and come back and it's, and it's filled with blood. That blew my ever-loving mind. <laughs> and, like, just because it, it was, like, it was, like, regressing to that point in your life, like, when you learn object permanency, like, when you're a child. I was, like, oh, wait a minute, but, like, it is not, it is not possible <laughs> that that happened right just because right. they weren't looking at it doesn't mean like things are the same when you're not when looking, you're not at, looking them, right? at them yeah it doesn't change and and uh. it, it just like utterly because then you know like being afraid of the dark like everything i couldn't see was now filled up with ultimate terror like mm. the world behind me <laughs> like the world on mm. the other side of a door um and it was just like i mean and i feel like it's a, like I had to learn how to conquer fear because it was not going away on its own. Yeah, yeah. Like those images that he has made in his books and that they made on film, like they go like straight to the amygdala and just like poke it until you can't take it. <laughs> um, so that's that's like my Stephen King story. Mm-hmm. I wanted to tell this other story, which I, I haven't really told anybody. It's about the movie Hellraiser. Hmm. So I saw the movie Hellraiser when I think I was like 13 years old. I visited my brother. He was in college at the time and it was like... Uh, he lived like in, in like a cool house with like a lot of cool like people that like did drugs. And, <laughs> you know, I was like, oh my god, this is not what my life is. Um, and they like played video games and stuff. Anyway, and he's like, you want to watch Hellraiser? I'm like, oh my god, like sure, like I'm such an adult now. Um, and the thing that I remember is like going through the movie. Um, I was like, I was utterly terrified of a variety of these things. And I was like, oh, what am I, you know. Um, but it's, it's also had like a fun story and it was also more like a fantasy story than a horror story. And I actually kind of like those sort of demony hell things. Yeah. But like at the end of it, I don't know if either of you have seen it, like the main female character like wears the flesh of a demon in order to fool someone, hmm. which I thought was so ridiculously absurd. 
that I couldn't take it seriously. Uh, and like I the whole movie just kind of became like a meatloaf song to me. It was just like oh, oh it's so like <laughs> it's tongue in cheek, right? Yeah. And and it was like and I, I even though it was in some sense the images were like, you know, I was old enough to appreciate some of that stuff more, um, because of the way the ending was, it just it, it all it all became funny. Those and, human suits. Yeah, yeah, yeah you know, it, it, and the skin it, suits. And it also had that sort of playful, like a little bit of weirdly sexual stuff that those mm-hmm. kind of movies had. And I was just like, oh, this is so absurd. I don't even need to be scared of it, right? Yeah, totally. Don't yeah, even yeah. be scared of that. Um, but it was very different than, like I said, my it experience, and I think all the like those hardcore Stephen King films, because like he makes sure when it's done, mm-hmm. you know, like that, like he gets that that fear stamped right, in your yeah. brain for a good while afterwards. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Jeremy. In watching um, Hellraiser, did you notice like your experience of the film different from like your brothers or his, his roommates? Yeah, I mean, they definitely. I mean, they were like he was a goth. Like they were goths. They were just into like stuff like yeah, that. like the 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 excess and the gore and like the creativity of it. Where I was just quietly being like. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm to, yeah, you know, like I'm cool. Like let's get some Ben and Jerry's, you know, because <laughs> um, I had also ate Ben and Jerry's on that trip for the first time, and I was like, it's so small, but it's so good. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, and I was aware of, you know, I mean, looking back, there was like, there's this element of like isolation mm-hmm. where I was like, oh, you know, my brother was ten years older than I was, mm-hmm. so I was like, you know, I'm hanging out with these guys, but I'm like. They're sort of like laughing and chatting because it's, you know, like yeah. it, it can be, you can watch the movie and it, because it's very campy. It can be viewed as very campy. And I was just like, but um, he has like, his face is a bunch of needles. <laughs> so <laughs> does that not, are you, are none of you worried about your right, face spontaneously clue. becoming needles? Bunch of needles. Did you see the scene when like the, the wire cut his face? Does that, <laughs> do you not worry about that? <laughs> um, but yeah. That that's pretty funny. Uh, by the way, Brian, in my extensive two minutes of research that I just did, <laughs> um, there is a Chevy Chase golf course in Illinois. Yeah, so I had to. <laughs> I don't know if it was like oh, a hotel sense, right? connected yeah. to that or something. Um, I looked it up. Uh, yeah, just in remembering the story, and I think it's like a chain. Mm. Or like there are a few maybe throughout the country. I don't yeah. know if or how they're related to Chevy Chase. Though. Mm. Well, I mean, I, I I have a possibly unrelated bit of information that yeah. there is like uh, one of the like richest parts in the country is this like subdivision called Chevy Chase, Maryland. Hmm. Um, and I, I think the name actually has existed for a long time and is like a location. Hmm. You know, maybe there's like Chevy Chase, England somewhere and oh, it's done in the U.S. to like imitate. But I, yeah, I, and I don't know Chevy Chase individually, never met him, but I, I wonder if his parents, like, named yeah. him humorously. Oh, <laughs> after one of those places. Yeah. Yeah. Those and hotels. created scary hotels yeah. for <laughs> kids to visit on there. Yeah. I, I also imagine that you're, you were really scared of Chevy Chase after that or something. Like, <laughs> yeah. why did he put me through this experience? It's his it fault. Was, it was just a weird, like, resort. I think, I, like, it's very like 70s architecture in my mm. memory yeah, yeah. Uh, sort of related to that i mm. have not been to the hotel where they filmed the shining mm. but i have been to the hotel where they filmed the tv remake of the shining starring yeah. stephen weber and rebecca de mornay mm. yeah <laughs> i have driven past uh 
the the outside i think of the hotel where they they use for the shining oh, oh, um, in colorado i have driven by the stairs that the person falls down at the end of um the one with the girl and the jesus thing uh, uh the exorcist oh the exorcist. It's, it's in uh, georgetown um oh. near dc i used to oh. visit a friend there and there's i mean you can see it as you drive by it's this really rickety crooked looking stare that you yeah. know people have fallen down for real yeah <laughs> i have one similar experience super fast i would say in my early uh cinephile days, in the, the of, days growing up as a cinephile yeah yeah uh you know as a budding cinephile um, I was a huge fan of the film Edward Scissorhands. Yeah, so well, it's amazing. Some young younger folks um, who are familiar with Tim Burton may know his these later sort of watered down days where he's kind of it's almost like a he's parroting Tim Burton, you know, like doing his thing. But in those early years of Tim Burton, he was pretty amazing. So I think I had I definitely seen Batman, his Batman film, and I don't know that I was totally aware that. It was like the same person. They probably advertised that, that made Edward Scissorhands soon after that. And so I didn't see it in the theater, but we were with uh, my dad. Um, I, I'm the youngest of three siblings, so we were all together. And we convinced him to rent Edward Scissorhands. And I remember I was really excited about it. And it was possibly because I was like, oh, it, it looks similar to Batman's style, sort of. That sort of it dark gothic. Black, yes. It yeah, yeah. Gothic, yeah. Right. Very gothic looking. Um, so I, I was excited to watch it. I wasn't like reluctant. And I think I was like, you know, it is a little bit weird. Like it's got like some mixed tones mm, and yeah. it's like kind of funny. And I don't know that I was totally expecting it to be funny. And and I was probably around 10 at this time when it came out. So I wasn't, didn't quite get it, but I think my brother and sister liked it too. Uh, but I, I mostly liked it or thought that I should act like I liked it more than I did. But that night afterwards, so I wouldn't say that I even thought that it was especially scary at the time, but there was like, I think, you know, he's known for kind of the German expressionism imagery. And so you probably guys have at least probably seen the moment from Nosferatu where he's like kind of coming out of the shadows and he's got yeah. these like long fingers and like nails hanging down. And I think Tim Burton probably intentionally mimicked that, you know, with like Edward's scissor fingers, like kind of dangling down in the same way. And he's sort of crouched, like hunched over coming out of the shadows when you first meet him. Um, so I think it is those sort of horror imagery stuck in my head. But that first night I had this nightmare from the film which is always weird for me to think back to because I, I love this movie. And for a long time, why I said it was like cinephile, people would be like, what's your favorite movie? I was like, well, Edward Scissorhands. Like when I was, yeah, you yeah. know, like early teenage years, I was like, that's great. And so I, I would claim it uh, in that way. But this nightmare was very sort of realistic, if you can call it, but with the Edward Scissorhands character. And it's not like the same character because he's not like mean or evil, of course, in the film. But we were living with my family in this like massive mansion, which may be similar to the, the mansion they find him in in the film, but like updated, like we live yeah. there. But there's almost like I remember, you know, in your dreams, you have just like a vague idea of certain images that you like saw. Feeling. Yeah, um, of it. But I remember there almost being like different wings of the house yeah, you know yeah. and like my parents were like in one wing and us kids were in the other and you know we'd sort of like 
you know, it'd be like after a night of, uh, and we'd all get up for breakfast and come to the table. And my parents were sort of like act weird. And I'd sort of like see them like hushed conversations, you know, in the corner so us kids couldn't hear it and kind of like talking very seriously to each other and concerned, but like enough that we, we would like notice it and be like, what's going on? But like not want to say anything. And then like, I also remember they would small indications like they had been like hurt in some way so it was like they had long sleeves on but you know their sleeve would pull up and they had like big scratches and gashes across their arms and we're like what is going on and then so this would like happen over time and then during the night I started hearing things in the night and so like somebody was up moving through the hallways and then I would even hear like started to hear like screaming and stuff coming from you know like far away in the directions where my parents stayed and of course like reality doesn't always make sense in dreams so i I don't know about like distances and things but it it would it was something like i couldn't say something about it you know as it went on i just saw like my parents were like being like tormented by this and somehow i knew it was you know this edward scissorhands character guy with scissors who was like hurting them during the night but not Mm -hmm. like killing them um like torturing them so it it was like one of those worst kind of nightmares where it's not just like like in a horror movie it's like a jump scare it's like over or like i wake up but it was just like kept going on a place you can't get out of yeah yeah so it was almost like in that span of that dream because i don't know i don't remember that i had it multiple times but definitely that first night but it was almost like traumatic in the way that this dream felt so long you know like over multiple nights um in there so anyways, this is very weird experience. And a lot of it is sort of a blur after that. I don't remember talking to my dad about it. I don't think I felt comfortable doing that. Because um, also, he would probably be like, well, you can't watch movies like this anymore. Um, and and I wanted to watch them. You know, in that sort of blur, it, it did become something like I embraced as, like I said, one of my favorite films. Um, in those days, it was still like a little bit early VHS where they just weren't like everybody owned they were super cheap so i like my first like purchase of like a movie that i like intentionally went out and bought was like edward scissorhands and i do remember like my dad being like really that's the movie you want to buy that's pretty (laughs) dark but uh so like i owned a copy uh it was very intentional i pretty much had it memorized uh, I think it's also a reason why I started collecting like Tom Jones records when I started getting into like vinyl was cool and he was sort of kitschy. There was a, a Tom Jones song in that that was kind of kitschy. Anyways, I think I was the thing I didn't mention about this is that this was just a couple years after my parents had got divorced. Yeah. So I don't know that I processed all that at the time, but I knew enough that I was anxious about the condition of my parents and their relationship with each other and us and and, as a family unit so mostly i lived with my mom and this was like on a visit we had regular visits with my dad we we saw him a lot as a family and and you know i i think it it reflected a lot of my relationship to them and how i wanted them not necessarily to get back together but i didn't want them to be at odds with anybody else in the family and as I got older, eventually thinking about this, and I don't think I've really like talked about it to anyone much, but I looked up and said like, oh, now that we have the internet, like you can look up what dreams mean. I w- it would be interested. I know there was like things happening in my life, but I wonder if there's anything specific. And, you know, 
you can't there was no like specific listing for um man with scissor hands you know stalking <laughs> your parents but there was like the threat of murdering your parents or something like that and it was definitely you know like you're dealing with change in your life and coming to terms with that um maybe there's something you feel guilty about and i think that's a common feeling like i don't think i felt ever guilt that like i broke up my parents but it was the guilt of feeling like you have to take sides in some way yeah um is kind of the pressure i think parents put on you in some ways when, when they sort of split in that way. So I think there was a lot of that sort of changes going on. And, and looking back, maybe I realized why I am ultimately embraced the film, even though I had that first sort of scary experience was that Edward is actually a very like, uh, loving, sensitive character. And maybe I identified something in him of that sort of sensitivity. And, and also his, awkwardness his innocence in dealing with those emotions he was like a child right because he's like this frankenstein type monster who does is like experiencing these things for a first time and so you know he would often act out violently in some in anger i shouldn't say violently but he was kind of like the flip he was very caring but when he somebody he cared about was hurt then he would sort of act out um and he didn't know sort of in between and i remember like there's the moment Winona Ryder's character comes home for the first time and he's sleeping in her like water bed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and she like turns on the light and doesn't know he's there. And he like freak gets freaked out too because he doesn't know. And he's like trying to get out of this water bed and keeps like trying to put his hands down and just keeps poking holes in it. And there's yeah. like water spraying and everywhere. She puts, like a little toy over it and it squeaks. Yeah, I think he does. Oh, he does. Yeah. Oh, I think that's when he first comes to the bed. He, oh, like, okay. tests it, and then he, like, puts one hole in it. But then there's, like, water spraying. And so I think that was, like, an image that sticks in my mind of probably how I was feeling of, like, you know, sort of, like, all these holes in my life um, yeah. coming out. And, like, I couldn't control, like, where, you know, all this water was going or these different emotions and things. But it, it was something I identified with to deal with that. But I... I, I it it kind of became one of those movies that I think I know so well that it lost some of its appeal as adulthood, oh, um, yeah. but still has a a good place in my heart. Yeah. Um, but that's sort of my uh, nightmare experience from watching a film. Yeah, that's a good but, story, Eli. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I think one of the things that like all these stories uh, like um, make me think about, and uh, a story that I will eventually tell someday about Saving <laughs> Private Ryan. Um, is that um, I've often or have sometimes found that emotions like certainly suppressed emotions you know they function more like trains than cars Mm. like you need they need some rails to run on (laughs) they need some momentum to get them going Mm -hmm. so I mean I think if you're if you are are worried about there's some anxiety you have and you watch a film that sort of capitalizes on that Mm -hmm. and sort of gets that feeling going inside of you you have this momentum to Mm -hmm. sort of throw behind it um, and I think it's interesting too how in all these stories, like it's you know in some sense the this dramatic story ends up being like the punctuation or like centerpiece of how mm. you describe or or like how you get to that feeling about you know like Brian like you're in this place it's really weird it's very awkward and it's also sort of your first experience with horror you know yeah yeah in a way those that, things add yeah, together the, the, sort of the dramatic feelings that this film brings up like are the you know the the central and most pointed elements of the whole 
thing, you know, and even like it, the way you present it, like there's a lot of ambiguity about why are we here? Like, what is going on? Um, and it seems like when you cut to fear, um, that seems like it's, uh, it, it clarifies a lot of what's going on. Mm -hmm. For sure. Yeah, I think, Brian, you, uh, by picking your story, you created our, um, you know, annual Halloween episode sort of that, for, <laughs> good, that, good. for that season. Now we'll have to tell a, you know, a scary story every time this time of year. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, that's really great. Uh, thanks for coming on the show, Brian, and sharing your story with us and uh, your family experience and about your work. That's pretty cool. Yeah, thank you so much for um, for chatting with you guys. Yeah, yeah. So that is our show for uh, this week. Show for this week. And we'll be back next time with more stories for you. More stories for you. And movies. And movies. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for listening. Bye.